0: Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day 3 Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life. Last week, we started um, a seven-part series uh, going verse by verse through the uh, Old Old Testament minor prophet of of Haggai, and uh, what I'm calling the series is this, Exhorting God's People. I'll have a little bit more to uh, say about that in in a moment. Uh, Some of you may know the historical background of Haggai. I kind of feel like I need to set that uh, maybe almost each week to where people are aware of what was taking place. But uh, God called upon Haggai to challenge the uh, remnant that had returned from Babylon, Uh, And they had uh, gone back to Jerusalem to uh, rebuild the temple. Uh, They had been allowed to uh, leave Uh, about 50,000 of of the Jews after uh, Nebuchadnezzar had come in, destroyed uh, pretty much the city, destroyed the temple, uh, carried them away into captivity. Uh, Years later, uh, Cyrus allows, who was the king in that day and time, uh, he allows about 50,000 of them to return back to Jerusalem. They were supposed to go back and and rebuild the walls uh, and uh, also rebuild the temple. Uh, What had happened was this. uh, They had started the temple uh, after getting the walls built and working on their houses and and things. They laid the foundation for the temple and they celebrated. They had sacrifices. They rejoiced uh, at the fact that they had started building the temple. But somewhere along the way, uh, other things became more important to them and they stopped building the temple uh some things that had happened was this the uh, uh there's a remnant of uh, samaritans they became to be known uh who had moved into the area uh while they were going to captivity and the samaritans weren't happy about the jews coming back and rebuilding uh so they're uh kind of oppressing the jews trying to keep them from uh, building the, the walls and building the temple but then another persian king comes in charge who's not really all that thrilled about them building the temple. So he starts to work against them building the temple and uh, and, and trying to stop it. So uh, anyway, that's part of the reason why it stopped. The other part of the reason was this, that we saw last week in verses one through four, the people had been really busy building their own homes they were finishing their homes out completely he even referred to them as sealed or or panel houses if you're following along in Haggai you can see that there in verse one through four and the people were saying um uh, an excuse trying to say well it's, it's not time to build and, and i think what had happened was this they had became so inward focused and they were so much about their own lives and building their own homes that they were really comfortable where they were <laughs> And they didn't want to be bothered with God's will. They didn't want to be bothered with the call to go and finish the temple. So that's why God calls Haggai to come in and exhort the people or challenge the people to, uh, to finish building the temple. In other words, spiritual apathy is sent in. And, and that's not just a problem in that day and time. Spiritual apathy is a problem that can hit us. And if we're not on guard, it can hit us at any time. It's easy sometimes in church ministry, even to this day, to have an initial zeal and excitement uh, about serving God. Uh, by, by the way, pray for me. Most of you uh, know that I have a part-time contract position with the State Baptist Convention uh, to work with church planters over a five-county area. That had not been too difficult over the last year or so because I had one church planter, and then he timed out uh, in his financial support. Then I got one more church planter. I found out this week I'm going to have three more uh, right now. And, uh, all these guys are really excited because they're getting ready to plant church, uh, and, uh, and everything. And I'm glad they're excited, but I'm telling you there'll be spiritual apathy. They'll have to wrestle with along the way. I have to wrestle with it. I did wrestle with it. You wrestle with it in your own life, that things can cause you to get sidetracked and lose your focus. And you start making your life about everything except what it ought to be about. And that's kind of what, uh, God calls Haggai, uh, to deal with. Um, the, the temple lay unfinished from, from 536 to 520 B.C., and that's when Haggai started bringing the message for them to uh, start rebuilding the temple. Uh, eventually, after he proclaims this prophecy, they get back to work on the temple, and they finish building the temple somewhere around uh, 515 B.C., so it was about 20 years or so from the time they laid the foundation until the time they actually finished building the temple. Now, I, I'm going to address part of the reason, not all the reason, because I asked you last week, why in the world do I feel like we need to go through yeah! And here's the main reason, and it's tied up in the title of the series, because I feel like God's people need to be exhorted or encouraged. Maybe not because of any type of building program, they were trying to build a temple in that day and time, but we live in a culture that is increasingly becoming more and more anti-Christian. We live in a time when there are all kinds of challenges that might want to discourage us and defeat us. So we live in a time that I feel certain that that God's people need to be exhorted and God's people need to be encouraged. And hopefully we can find that as we go through this book of Haggai. Hopefully we'll find at least uh, seven main exhortations or uh, seven main reasons for us to be encouraged. The last one was last week, the first one, to put God first. And I, I won't take time to deal with that in a, uh, in a great way or anything, except to say this, if we will put God first in our lives, I can promise you our lives will go a lot better. That, that's not helpful and well, that doesn't mean we'll never face any difficulty or anything like that. But if you're living your life based on God's will, it's a whole lot better than living your life absent from God's will uh, in, in your life. Today we're going to talk about consider your ways. And, uh, and then next week, believe God's promises number four obey god's commands number five i think is a very important topic because more or less haggai tells the people you can do this you can build the temple because god is with you so i want to say to you in advance of that message whatever it is god is telling you to do if you know god has called you to do it god is with you and that ought to encourage you to do what god has called you to do then we're going to talk about looking within because as we try and perform god's will sin can contaminate us and and hold us back from what God desires for us to do in following him. And then lastly, we're going to talk about looking ahead because God seals us. And that really is a type of a picture of the fact that believers are sealed today through Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. Amen. But today as we talk about considering your ways, uh, we're going to be in verse number 5 through 8. And Ahagiah more or less tells them to consider their ways uh, in light of the covenant that God had made with the children of Israel when they went into the promised land. If you know much about that covenant, God more or less told the Israelites when they were going into the promised land, uh, he, he told them this. He said, if you will obey me and follow my word, I will bless you. If you are in the promised land and you forget about me, I will curse you. So what has happened now, this remnant has returned and they had this initial zeal. And then along the way, they kind of forget about God and they're not doing what God had called them to do. Let's read the verses we're looking at today. Uh, verse five through eight. Now, now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvest, harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. There are about seven consider or or five rather considerations today that we need to make from these uh, these verses, five main things that we ought to consider, that I think God was calling upon the people in that day, in Haggai's day, uh, to consider, and uh, that we ought to consider. Today. Am I am I live? It sounded like my sound went away. Me, go. I'm sorry. The, the first consideration is this: consider your ways in comparison to God's will. We, we need to evaluate our ways. We need to consider the way that we're living, uh, the, the choices that we make, uh, our, our attitudes and everything else. We need to consider our ways in comparison to, uh, to God's will. Uh, in other words, consider your ways from God's viewpoint. You'll understand why I say that uh, when I do a word study here in just a moment. Haggai looked at the people and he said, "'Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways.'" The, the phrase in the Hebrew now, therefore, uh, is uh, like an, an, an explicit statement that he's making to them. And what it means more or less is this. It means at this time. So apply that to their day. What Haggai is saying to the people is this. At this time, when you're saying, it's not time to build a temple. Or it's not time to do God's will. It's not time to do what God has told us to do. To apply to us today. At this time when you're saying it's not time to finish the temple. At this time when you're living your life all about yourself. At this time when you're being so selfish and so inwardly focused that all you're doing is focusing upon your own homes. At this time, God is going to speak to them and he says with great latitude. Now that's the exact same word we saw last week. Remember last week I told you when the people were saying it's not time to build? it's not time to build the Lord's temple. The word say in front of that phrase, they were saying with great latitude, it's not time. So now kind of a play on words. God himself looked at the people and used the exact same word that they were using. And God says with great latitude, it is time to build the temple. Now guys, I don't know about you, but I'm assuming God has more latitude than we do. Amen. And when God tells us to do something, what he tells us to do is more important than what we think we ought to do and what our will uh, is that we have for our own lives. So he says, you know, now for thus says the Lord, and, and that word Lord means the, uh, next slide please, the, uh, the self-existent eternal Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. That word cropped up last week referring to the people, it's used differently here because as it says the Lord of hosts, it basically means this, the Lord of all the armies of heaven. In other words, God can back up what he says, amen? He doesn't need the armies of heaven. He can back it up just by himself. But he's saying, the Lord of all the armies of heaven, he is calling upon the people in that day, and I think still yet for us, to consider our ways. Now, that word consider is an interesting word in the Hebrew because it is a compound word made from three Hebrew words that I believe makes a really strong point in an argument for what God is telling the people to do that we ourselves need to do when it comes to considering our ways. The the word for consider means this. It means above, the first word that's used in that phrase. It, It means above, over, upon. It always implies a downward aspect. It talks about viewing something from the top, especially viewing something from the highest. In other words, God's viewpoint. And the second part of the word means heart. So I think he's calling upon the people to view their ways from his vantage point. Let that speak to their heart and put what they see, what they find in application in their lives. Here's what God was telling them to do. God was telling them to look at your way. The the word way, by the way, means a road trodden. It talks about uh, their lifestyle, everything that they were doing. Uh, When he talks about their ways, uh, it means the way you're treading around, your course of life. It even meant to string a bow. Uh, and some of you may not understand what that is, uh, used to, before they had compound bows, you had to take a recurve bow and step through it and put it on your end seam uh, of your foot to where you can bend and put the string on it. How do I know that? I'm old. I was around before they had compound bows. That's how I know that. So it is almost like he's also uh, telling them, uh, consider the way you're stringing your life. You know, consider the way that that, that you are trying to prepare your your, your life to to, to shoot forth uh, into life. So here, get the full picture of what God is saying. God, through Haggai, tells the people, you need to get up above your way and you need to view it from my vantage point. You need to view it from the way I see it. You need to view it from my will. And you need to recognize the error of your ways as you view it from my will, and that ought to strike your heart, and you need to put what you see in application in your own life. I'm pretty convinced that for all of us, no matter how much we think success we may feel like we're having in our Christian walk, if we would all compare our ways to God's way, if we would view our ways from God's perspective, there would be some things that would God would call us to and say, Hey, you need to change that. You, you need to change this. You, you need to be more, more, more dedicated. You need to consider your ways. Paul put it like this in Galatians chapter six, verse four, but, but let each one test his own work. As we live our lives as Christians, we need to be evaluating our lives and ask ourselves, is my way God's way? You know, my way is not God's way. When when God tells us to consider our ways, God doesn't mean this. He he doesn't mean to come over here and sit down and think about excuses that you can make as to why your way is okay. When God says, consider your way, God is saying this. He's saying, consider your way, compare it to my way, and then you need to change your way to where it matches my way. That's what God was saying to the people in that day and time by that little phrase. Second consideration that we need to make from these verses of this. You you need to consider your ways by considering the absence of blessings, the absence of blessings. In uh, verse six, the first part of verse six, Haggai tells the people you have sown much and you've harvested little. Though the words that he uses there means they they were disseminating, they were casting, they were sowing a whole lot of seed. And that means that they were sowing a whole lot of seed they were planning on a big increase. They were intent on getting a big increase. But the problem was this. Even though they were sowing a whole lot of seed, they weren't getting very much in return. Because the word meant to go and come with little or few, to lessen, to pair off, to make small or few, to suffer a, a decrease. It, get it, maybe it, the word meant to pair off. Think, think about it in these terms. The people were planning, planting, planning, expecting a big harvest. But it was a little harsh because it was like God was taking a paring knife. And because of the way they were living their lives, God was cutting away blessing. And God was cutting away the increase of the harvest. To where they were not experiencing very much of, of a harvest in, in, in their lives. In our day, maybe we need to take notice. That, that's what I think hey guys doing. Hey guys, looking at the people and he's telling them, Hey, you need to pay attention to this. You've been so and so and so and so, but you're not reaping very much. So just maybe you need to change your ways. And I think in a similar way in our day and time and in our church ministries, we might need to consider this. If we're so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and and 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 and, and we don't get a lot of increase, just maybe we need to consider our ways. Maybe we need to look and consider our ways and compare our ways to God's ways, and there might be changes that, that we need to make. You see, the secret of blessedness is this. Haggai was telling the people to build the temple. Now, the secret of blessing us in our life, you know, it doesn't have to be surrounded in a building program of anything, which we are in a building program, by the way. Did I point that out to you last week? Have I pointed that out to you lately with our vision statement that we've put up on the wall recently where we've revamped and redid our vision in our mission statement? We are in a building program. You know what our building program is? We're supposed to be the body of Christ and build believers. So all the time, we're to be about a building program. And the pathway to blessing us is us being about God's plans, being part of his building program. Now, now you can say it like this. Th- that is God's will for, for all believers. That's God's will, as, as a matter of fact, for all churches to be the body of Christ, to be build believers, and change the world. And, and from a vision standpoint, I think that needs to be the big picture of a vision that, that we look at that God calls us to. There are all kinds of things you can park underneath it. i mean you to tell you I'm about to inherit... Uh, three church planners. and uh, in with it the North American Mission Board is changing the way that church planners are going to be trained and they're starting a new initiative called multiply uh, what that means to me is that coming up May the 11th 12th and 13th I have to go to Caraway for three days to be trained in, in their in their new approach uh, I thought that didn't seem like that was too tough uh, until on uh, March the 14th, I received a package in the mail and I not ordered anything. I wonder what someone had brought me. And then I saw it's on the North American Mission Board and they blessed me with five books inside that I have to read. And uh, and then uh, the next day, I got a homework assignment uh, that was like pre, uh, pre-training assignment that I have to go through. And I opened it up. And uh, I started looking at the first assignment and they said to have it turned in by March the 21st. I'm thinking, man, that's not even a week. I instantly typed back a message in a nice way and, and told them at the North American Mission Board, you guys are crazy. That's not the way I worded it, but I, I more or less said most of these contract workers are pastoring churches themselves and, and, and you sent me five books and a big homework assignment to have done. So when I sent it back, they realized, oh, we've made a mistake. They had attached a homework assignment for people taking the training this month instead of May. So that helped a little bit, but still it was a you know, whole lot to do. In the process of reading a book I'm working on now about vision and what got me on the side rabbit is, uh, is our new vision statement. Uh, They were showing some visions uh, that some other churches had come up with. And there's a book called Church Unique that is uh, telling uh, church planners you need to see exactly how unique your church is and why your church ought to exist and then communicate your vision like that. And I have no problem with that, although I do think we need to keep in mind God's kingdom vision. That's what the main thing ought to be for us. And one church in this book uh, had stated that their vision was going to be to reach students and by reaching students, they were going to change the education system of, of, their, of, of their locale, or the area they lived in. And I thought, well, that's fine, but I can't read in the Bible God's called us to change the education system. God's called us to change lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we need to be concerned about vision. So that's a vision for the church and, and every believer. At the same time, God may be calling you to do something I don't even know about. See, that would fit underneath the, the vision here. The pathway for blessing for you, we may not be in a building program, but the pathway for blessing for people is to do what God calls them to do. The, The pathway for blessing is for us to align our purposes with his purposes. And that's what Haggai is calling the people to do. He's saying God's purpose right now is for you to build the temple. Quit making excuses. Quit trying to say it's not the time to do it and get busy building the temple. I don't know right now what God is calling you to. I know he calls the church and all churches to be about these things. But I will tell you this. The pathway to you experiencing God's blessing in your life is for you to align your purposes with the purposes of God. And instead of trying to align your purposes just with what you want and what you desire in your life. Philosophers will tell you this. They've done extensive studies on it. And philosophers will tell you if you want to find happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment, you will not find it by seeking those things. The way you find happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment is not seeking it. It's seeking the things of God for us as Christians and it's seeking what His will is and it's seeking... Ministering to other people, and as we carry out the will of God that He calls us to, we will find happiness, satisfaction, and fulfillment. You're not going to find it by just trying to seek after it as though it's an independent entity all to its own. We need to be living for God and others. Jesus one day was at a well, and there was a lady there that He had a conversation with. The disciples had gone away for food. And when they bring food back, Jesus had already had this discussion with this lady. She had discovered out who he was. She ran into the city to tell others. The disciples show up, and they're kind of unaware of things. And it's like, well, Jesus, aren't you hungry? And Jesus said, I've got meat to eat that you know not of. In in other words, Jesus had found fulfillment and satisfaction in that moment, doing exactly what he knew the Father had called him to do. In the way, you and I will find satisfaction and fulfillment in our lives is not to chase satisfaction and fulfillment. It's not to chase happiness. It's for us to chase after God and what God's will is and his purposes. And by doing that, we can find satisfaction and in, in happiness. Just maybe we need to consider our ways if there seems to be an absolute blessing from God in our lives. Third consideration from what Haggai tells the people in that day and time is this. Consider your ways in light of your dissatisfaction, in light of your dissatisfaction in your life. Haggai looks at the people and he says, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is worn. Now, let me walk you through some of the things that he said there in the Hebrew because it gives a little bit of strength, I think, to, to, to the English words that we're looking at. But as he says you eat it means to really be consuming it down man they're burning it up they're consuming they're devouring food but even though they're trying to satisfy themselves through their food he he said but you never have enough and that's a compound word in the hebrew and the first part of it means to be nothing or not to exist or non-entity so what you're trying to do is like it's not even there you, you have this food before you're eating it, but it's as though it's not even there because it doesn't bring satisfaction in your life. It doesn't fill you or satisfy you. He, he also told them this, you drink. Next slide, please. You drink, and the word means to imbibe. And I know that's not your traditional Caldwell County word. How many used the word imbibe this week as you were carrying on conversation? Didn't figure so. Uh, but i trying to give you a picture of what imbibe means. It means maybe you just take a bucket and open your mouth and you're just trying to pour it in. You know, you're really, really trying to drink it in. Now to give you a hint of what they were drinking, it says to be nothing or not exist on an entity. In other words, what they were drinking as though it didn't exist, just like a food seemed like it didn't exist, didn't meet their need. But it meant to also become tipsy with stimulating drink or become merry or 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 drunken so it's like the people were doing this they were eating all the best food they could trying to find satisfaction and so the food didn't give any satisfaction they were maybe trying to drink away their sorrows uh, through alcohol and they were trying to find merriness and fulfillment and everything through alcohol and that wasn't working for them and, uh, and, and, and by the way, I, we are a Southern Baptist church, but you've heard me say this before. I do not believe the Bible teaches someone taking a drink is a sin. I do believe the Bible clearly teaches drunkenness is a sin. So here they, they, they're imbibing, taking it down, taking it down, taking it down. And they're not getting the effect they want is more or less what he's saying. You're dissatisfied because you're trying to drink this, drink this, drink it down. And it's not, it's not satisfying you. Then he said, you wrap yourself up in clothing, trying to get warm, but he uses the same phrase there. It's as though the clothing is non-existent, so even though try as you like to get warm and wrap clothing around yourself, he's looking at the people in that day and time, and he's saying, but you're not warm. So you're eating, and you're not full. You're drinking, it doesn't help you any, and you're trying to clothe yourself and be warm, but you can't find any warmth whatsoever. The the Hebrew words imply an ongoing or continued state. So in other words, you could say it like this, you always eat and always never have enough. You always are drinking, but you always never get the desired drunkenness or the desired effect. You're always clothing yourself, but you always fail to be warm. And I think what yeah, I was telling the people is this, that the satisfaction in your life that you're experiencing from the way you live your life ought to be an indicator for you that you need to consider your ways. That you need to look at your ways, the way you're living your life, you need to view your ways from my viewpoint, from my vantage point, because the way that you are living your ways is not working out. You're not finding satisfaction in the way that you are living your life. Let me kind of read you a paragraph I felt like the Lord led me to write down this week and maybe they'll communicate to you uh, what I think Haggai is saying and, and maybe how it needs to apply to us. The dissatisfaction you find in your life is a, a significant sign that, you, that your ways are misguided, off track from God's will. You try and find satisfaction in your life, but it flees from you. You seek satisfaction in your food, but it's not there. It's as though you choose wonderful looking food only to place it in your mouth, and it's as though the food is non-existent. You seek joy, but what you thought would bring joy is nothing or non-entity. You try to find joy and satisfaction by drinking, or at least try to escape through your drink, but it seems to have no effect. You cannot even become tipsy, nevertheless drunken or, or merry. Your life feels cold from chasing your own dreams, going your own way, and you try to chase away the cold by wrapping yourself in clothing, but you cannot get warm. It is as though warmth is only a desired but imagined sensation that you cannot find the comfort of no matter how hard you try. Your ways only leave you more empty, less joyful, and you walk around with a frozen soul. The very dissatisfaction of your life should compel you to consider your ways. Now those, I know those are not fun words. Though regrettably, that's the way many people live, the way many people live their existence. And, and don't think about it just as literal food or literal drink or literal clothing. Because there are multitudes of people, even multitudes of people that come to church week in and week out, that are trying to find satisfaction By eating of the things of the world, by by drinking of the things of the world, by clothing themselves and whatever the the world tries to tell you, this will make you feel good, this will make you warm, and it never, ever satisfies you. You want to know why? Because it was never designed to satisfy you to begin with. Not if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, the only thing that will bring satisfaction to your life is being obedient to God's will. Being obedient to what God is calling you to. Being obedient to his purpose. That's the only thing that will bring satisfaction to, to your life. See, the reason for their misfortunes was this. They had put themselves first and minimized God. Does that sound anything like our culture today? That's the reason they were facing such dissatisfaction and having these misfortunes in their life. That's really the explanation of all unhappiness. If you want to be miserable, just be selfish. If you want to be miserable, be selfish. Selfishness does this. Selfishness looks at not what it has, it looks at what it doesn't have. Selfishness is a person that, that has cupped eyes, always looking at what others have. The selfish man thinks more of what he has than what he is or who he is, and disregards God and the needs for others. How crazy it is for us to live our lives like that. If you think you're going to find satisfaction based upon what you have. Hey, I've got a newsflash for you. You're not taking your toys with you one day. You don't get to translate your bank account and all the possessions that you might come up with into heaven one day with you. That's not what gets transferred there. That's why we need to live our lives in a different way. <coughs> in that day and time, they were living their lives inward focus based on their own homes, their own houses. Well, what they needed to do was submit to what God was calling them to do, and that was to to build the temple. When they ate and drank, they weren't filled or satisfied. The clothing didn't keep them warm, and their income didn't cover their expenses. Does that sound uh, familiar with anyone? Not enough money to go around? As supplies became scarcer, prices got higher, and a shopper might as well have carried his wealth in a wallet filled with holes in it which leads us to the next consideration that we need to make consideration number four is this consider your ways through misguided investments hey goes on after he tells them what you eat isn't satisfying you what you drink isn't satisfying you you're trying to stay warm you can't do it no matter how hard you try because you've got a frozen heart He looks at them and he says, consider your ways through your misguided investments. He said, and he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Now the phrase he who earns wages means they were working really hard to try and earn their wages. They were putting a lot of energy into their labors, but it was a temporary situation. It was like a temporary purchase. They they were hiring themselves out, working as hard as they could. It, It also, the word in the Hebrew had the idea of planning on a bargain and they were trying to purchase or prepare for something. They were digging, plotting, boring, or opening something up. It just sounded like someone working really hard, trying to dig a hole in the ground, trying to plan for an investment. But he says, he who earns wages, next slide, does so, in it's the exact same word. Isn't that interesting? He who earns wages is earning wages to put them into a bag with holes. That phrase talked about a partial or a package. Maybe someone had taken a bag and they were gathering corn and grain and put it in the package without knowing it had been punctured or perforated, even violently perforated. And they're walking along with their investment and as they walk along, their investment's falling out the backside of the bag that they thought had everything kept safe. For some people, it might just be a trickle. For some people, you may have a violent hole in the bag that you think you're dependent on, the investments that you're making with your life. People that come under that type of description, I think, are these type of people. The people putting their wages in a bag with holes in it are the people that pride themselves on the accumulation and possession of wealth. There's nothing wrong with with, with money. It's the way you use money that can become a sin. But it's like someone priding themselves in the accumulation of possessions and wealth, and a man's dropping his money into a bag with holes. And he's spending a large portion of his money just to minister chiefly to his pride and vainglory glory, and fails to make eternal investments in God. Now to give you a more current understanding of what he's saying, it would be like you investing in the stock market in a particular company. And that company has a record, after you've been investing for a while, of losing your money all the time. And it looks like they're going to go down the tubes, but you don't care, you just keep sending your money to them anyway. It would be the equivalent of this. It would be the equivalent of you and I finding out that the bank, whatever bank you use, has gone bankrupt. And still, you show up every payday to try and put your money in a bank that's gone bankrupt. See, that's the picture that Haggai has given to the people. They were making investments in something that would not make it into the future. They were making investments in something that one day ultimately would become bankrupt. And regrettably, the same thing is true of many people in our lives today. We spend a lot of time investing our lives in things that we think of that might be good things, great things, or whatever, but it's not the best thing that God has called us to. And we need to wake up to that and realize that God has a purpose for your life, a purpose for my life, a purpose for our churches, and we need to be about doing what God has called us to and stop putting our time and our money and our investments into worldly things that the only thing it is is like a bag, losing the investment all the time as you're walking down the road. It'd be the equivalent of you having a hole in your pants and you put your money in, in your pants and then you feel the money fall out as you're walking and you turn around and you pick it up and you put it right back in the same pocket. That that's really what we're doing with our lives many times. where We're failing to make the, the eternal investments. That's what Haggai is telling the people there. You're so tied up in your own life, you're not doing what God has called you to do. And regrettably, that's probably what's keeping us from carrying out the Great Commission and evangelizing the world. Not just as this church, but as the whole church. Because we've allowed the world to so tie us up in our own lives that we can't find time to do what God's called us to and that's changed the world with the gospel of Christ. See, so we need to be about the things that will last, the things that, uh, that, that are eternal. But they have been making these bad investments and temporary things that one day is going to pass away. Proverbs eleven twenty four tells us this. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Now that don't make sense in the way our world wants to think today. One gives freely, but at the same time they're getting all the richer. You see, there's there's a richness that's better than just financial richness. And it says another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want, because he's withholding what he should give. Isaiah put it like this why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? you're trying to satisfy yourself and you're spending your money on something but it's not even bread it's not even the thing that will really satisfy you and your la- in, in your labor for that which does not satisfy jeremiah said for my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water See, that speaks of our culture. Even in the church today, God help us, but it even speaks of the church today. We've left living waters. We've left who we really need to have our relationship with and find our satisfaction in. We have left that to hew out our own little bucket containers that have holes in it. And we're not finding any satisfaction. See, for a Christian, we need to remember this. For a Christian, we need to remember it's what we do for Jesus that lasts. Not our own inwardly focused things. Many times I've stood at a graveside and I've read these verses. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Because you see that chapter is talking about the resurrection from the dead. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know why I read that many times at a graveside? Because that family has just gone through a great tragedy. And it's really easy when you go through a tragedy and lose a loved one, it's easy to get sidetracked and distracted by that and lose your focus from what it should be as a Christian. And I have told many a family at a graveside. I have told them if your loved one, if that person happened to be a Christian, if your loved one could come and stand before you right now, you want to know what your loved one would say? Your loved one would say, stay busy serving God, because I know without any doubt, that's what lasts. I did a lot of good things in my life, they would say. I, I, I applied a lot of energy in my life, doing a lot of things I thought was good, but that's not what lasted. The only thing that lasted was what I did for Jesus. I think that's what a loved one would say to us. See, we all have hobbies, don't we? You see, it's not that God doesn't expect us to ever having hobbies. You can't let your hobby become the main thing. So, some of you understand that we chase after things that the world says is significant and, and important and, and, and will last, and it won't last. It's all, it's all a lie, it's all a facade. I'll illustrate that by something from my own life. A, a few months ago, uh, most of you are probably aware of this, a few months ago, uh, UTH Ministries was planning to have a, a craft sale uh, to raise some funds toward going to Guatemala. Uh, years ago, I used to paint a lot. I used to do a lot of oil paintings and uh, never used acrylic much until recently. I uh, still don't like it. I like oil better. But uh, I had stopped painting for years and years and years. I mean, I'd actually had some one-man shows in a gallery before and won some competitions and things, but my life became so busy I, I couldn't focus on that area. One with my mom living with me, I, I had not painted in over 20 years. At the time they started the craft sale. So when they started planning for that, I started doing a few small paintings and it kind of went from that, that I started having a little bit of fulfillment there. And I, 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 I don't have time to sit down. I mean, I started a, a painting of the crucifixion that uh, is going to belong to Joey Finley. Uh, He told me he just wanted three crosses on a hill, and I wound up painting it with a picture that looked like Golgotha. I started that on on Good Friday, and I finished it one day this week because I hadn't had time to touch it since then. So I don't have a lot of time for it. I don't want you to get the idea that all I do is go home and paint, (laughs) okay? I've got a lot of other things on my plate. But the reason I'm telling all that story is this. All the fine artwork that all the world and is in Oz at and everything in the biggest museums in the world, one day is going to be burned up with a fervent heat, and it's not going to last. It is not, that's not the kind of things that last. What lasts is what we do for Jesus. That, that's what will last. Look at a couple of other verses. Next slide. Our, our true eternal home ought to be our focus. Paul writes, "Once this tent, talking about our body, but well, we know if this tent, our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house made with hands, eternal in the heavens." See, that's what lasts. There's an everlasting, eternal home for us, and that's why we need to have our focus in that direction. In Hebrews 11, it talks about Abraham, and it said, "For he, Abraham, was looking." forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is, is God. Abraham was a nomadic individual. He lived in, in, a, in an area where they had not even ever heard of the real God, and Abraham had not heard of the real God. And, and one day God spoke to him, and God told him, I want you to leave here and go to a place I'm gonna show you, and I want you to take all your family and all your possessions with you. Put yourself in his shoes for a minute. Your friends are asking you, Abraham, where are you going? Well." God spoke to me. What God? Well, I don't know. I I never heard him before. Well, where are you going? I don't know. He's not told me. I just know I'm going to wherever he's leading. But it said Abraham was not looking for earthly cities. He was looking for a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, in other words, here's the application of that, folks. This, can I use a Caldwell County term? Ain't it this isn't it even the finest cities in this world it's not it the finest mansions in this world that's not it that's not what our focus needs to be about that's not what our lives as christians need to be about we cannot transfer those things to heaven the only thing we transfer to heaven is what we do for jesus and Haggai is calling upon the people to quit being so inward focused, so selfish focused and do what God was calling them to do. And we need to answer the same call because the only thing that will last is what we do for God, what we do for Christ. That's all that's going to last. Instead of living our lives just based upon human side or human logic, as Christians, we're going to live our lives based upon faith. Don't consume your life with misguided investments that disappear. We need to live for eternity. We need to look ahead by faith to a better home, to rewards that last forever, and make eternal investments with your life. In other words, quit putting everything in a bag that's got holes in it. You won't find satisfaction over there. That. That's a misguided investment. Number five, we also need to consider this. You need to consider your ways and change your ways to God's way for His glory. Verse 7 and 8, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. The word studies will be on the screen. I'm not going to go through them again. I've already been through them. But it's the exact same phrase He used when I started in verse 5. Thus, in that day and time, God said... Look at your way from my vantage point, just the the cruts of it. And let it speak to your heart how you need to change the way you're living your life. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. The people's ways was to make excuses, just like us that it wasn't time to build a temple. But God tells them to go up. Just move, move ahead to, to that phrase, please, word study. Next one. God tells them to go up. That phrase meant to ascend, to actively mount up, to arise, to ascend at once, to shoot forth or up, to spring up or stir up. It's really a message of revival. Haggai's telling the people, wake up. Look at your ways, understand that's not my way. View it from my vantage point, and you need to wake up. And what I want you to do is to actively mount up, to stir yourself up, to rise up, to ascend up, to shoot forth, to spring up, to stir yourself up, and go up on the mountain and bring wood and build the temple. Some commentators thought that Haggai was being sarcastic, using sarcasm. The prophets were good for that. Jesus would do it sometimes, and what they mean by that is this: Hey, pointed toward the mountains, and He said, "Go up and bring wood and build the temple." But as they looked up on the mountain and they went to go and get the wood, they couldn't find the wood because they had already used it to build their houses. The very thing they needed to carry on God's work, they had consumed it to themselves and used it to make themselves extravagant houses so the resources that was needed to build the temple couldn't be found just up on the mountain. History says they had to go to adjoining nations and buy some of the wood in order that the temple could be built because they had used all of it for themselves. And the message to us today ought to be this. We better be careful that we don't use all the resources of our finances, our tithe, our money, our talents, our, uh, the, uh, our life in general, that we don't consume all that as selfishness to ourselves, and we don't have anything left to do what God calls us to do. God told them to go and build the temple. He had brought them the captivity back, and think of it in these terms, because of what God had done for them, bringing them back to their homeland, they had an obligation to build the temple. God said, build the temple and I'll take pleasure in it. To be pleased with the specifically you'll satisfy a debt that you owe me. Do you ever ask yourself if you please God? Do you ever look back on your day and have a talk with Jesus about it and ask Him if you pleased Him in any way that day? Do you ever look back over your week and evaluate things you've done? And ask yourself, God, in any way this week, did I please you? A lot of times, I don't like the answer to that question. And because we don't like the answer to that question, we don't ask it enough. And and I would argue to you that all of us daily, we need to be asking ourselves, God, did I please you today? Did I bring you pleasure in any way? You see, because we have a debt to pay. God did not free me from captivity in Babylon. God freed me from captivity to sin and death in hell because he sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. And through faith in him, God has set me free. If you know Christ as your Savior, God did much more for you than set you free from being carried away by some foreign army into some foreign city to live in captivity. God has set you free from eternal punishment. God has set you free from your sin debt. And because of all that God has done for us in Christ, we have an obligation to at least try to please God with our lives. God said, I'll take pleasure in it. And he also said, build it that I might be glorified. The word for glorified means to be heavy in a good sense. One of the greeters this morning, after I came in, she looked at me and, uh, and said, if you keep losing, losing weight, I don't know what we're going to do with you. And, uh, and I looked at her and I said, well, thank you, but I've gained eight pounds. <laughs> this black long sleeve shirt is a facade this morning. But you see, God being heavy is always in a good sense. We can be heavy in a bad way. God being glorified means that we're making him honorable or making him weighty. Now, now let, me, let me help you understand that. I'm not saying, Haggai was not saying, that we can inherently make God more glorious Because God, by His very nature, is glory. You realize that? God, by who He is, is a very epitome of glory. We we can't really make God more glorious than He is, but we can make Him appear more glorious for others to perceive Him more glorious If we'll consider our ways and make our ways his ways. In other words, the people could build the temple and them coming together, working together and building the temple would have spread around through the communities and it would have brought more glory to God. Wouldn't have changed God's inherent glory because he is glory, but it would change the perception that people had of how great God is. And, And you and I, if we would just do what God's called us to do, If we'll consider our ways and compare our ways to His ways, if we will make our ways His ways, His ways our ways, by doing so, we can please God. I want to do that. Don't you want to please God? He sent His Son to die for me. I want to please Him. We can please God and we can make Him appear more weighty, more glorious, more significant to the world that we live in. If we'll consider our ways. And make the changes necessary for His ways to be our ways. That ought to be the desire of everything that Day 3 Church does. It'll be here before we know it. I'm starting to get a little bit excited uh, about it. But I wanted to go for a few years. but With my mom living with us, I couldn't. But with her having passed... Last year, I have got the opportunity to go with the brand brand of UTH, and the others have been going to, to Guatemala. But see, us going to Guatemala is not about us. And I know that that's not their focus. I'm not preaching to them. I'm letting you know their focus. You say, see, we're pretty close to making our goal on our Easter offering. We've not made it yet, but we can make it. It's at $4,100. We're asking for $5,050, half of it going toward supporting missionaries in North America. The other half to be used in Guatemala when we go to perform ministry. The only thing I think that they want to do, and that I want for us to do, and that I'm sure everyone going wants to do, what we want to do when we're there is to make God more glorious. That's what we want to do. Is pulling people to him, pulling people to Christ. So as we get ready to have this thing we call an invitation at church this morning, can I ask you if you're willing and ready to consider your ways today? Remember what that means. Are you you willing to kind of stand back and be honest about the way you're living your life and try to view it from God's vantage point, from God's viewpoint? Are you willing to do that this morning? And then make the changes you see that you need to make. Are you willing to consider your ways today? Are you willing to evaluate your life and ask God to help you do it? See, to really evaluate your life as a Christian, we need better help than our own. We need God to help us by His Spirit to evaluate our lives. We need to consider our way in light of God's ways. We need to look at our lives and and see if there's a mission of blessing evident in our lives. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe it's because we're not living God's way. If you're experiencing frustration and dissatisfaction all the time in, in your life, maybe you need to evaluate. Potentially, it could be your fault because your way is not God's way for your life. Maybe you've been making investments in your life and it, you seem like you can't get anywhere with it and it's just going out the bag with a hole in it. Why not make eternal investments? Change the focus of your life. Live the way Jesus wants us to. Change the focus of your life and have an inheritance that will last. Just ask the Holy Spirit of God this morning to help you evaluate your ways and then change your ways to God's way. What we need to do is to ascend, to actively mount up, to arise, to ascend at once, to shoot forth or up, to spring up or stir up in our lives so that God might be pleased and glorified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the clear words of Haggai. They're not fun words. They're difficult for us to look at, just as it would have been hard in that day and time for the people to hear your message. But they eventually listened and they responded and they came together and they worked and they glorified you and they pleased you by building the temple. Help all of us right now that already know Christ as our Savior to evaluate our lives. Lord, no doubt there are many of us here that are frustrated and discouraged and despondent and we need to be encouraged, we need to be exhorted, but we need to do so through more than just words. We need to do so by by looking at our ways and changing our ways to your ways. Father, if there's someone in this place that has never ever admitted to you that they're a sinner, they've not come to you looking for the only help they can really receive. And that's salvation found in Jesus. I pray you speak to them right now. Show them their need of a Savior. Help them to understand that they can't fix their life themselves and help them to come to you and by faith believe in the Jesus that died on the cross to pay for their sins so that through faith in him they can be forgiven and have an everlasting relationship with you. Help us to be serious right now before you. To consider our ways and be open to your change, your transformation in our lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.